when we're going through this, I want to challenge you to do something. As we're going through the Gospel of Mark, I want you to try to do something that takes a little bit of effort. Sometimes we come to church and, and we have this idea that, that, that you're just observers. That somehow people are up here professionals somehow and they perform. And Suzanne said something interesting today um, because of praying before church. She said kind of like, you know, even a lot of people on the worship team are going through heavy stuff. We all are all the time. And so it's not just somebody up here giving to you. Rather, we're people trying to all gain from the Lord. And when we're going through the Gospel of Mark, I hope you will, can, can go from being a spectator to being a participant. And the way I want you to do that is I want you to do your best as we look at the stories in the Gospel of Mark and in everything we look at in the Scriptures, that you try to enter the stories. That you try and somehow, to, as we go through the story, to enter the story, to walk through the Scriptures that we're reading, especially when it's a, a story, a narrative of something that happened. You know, sometimes we look at Scriptures and they're not that way. They're just a teaching. But when we, when we look, at, especially in the Gospel of Mark, we're walking through stories. Um, a story that this happened with these real people on this real day. And I want to encourage you to, to walk through the stories as they're given to us in Scripture. And to do your best to see what they saw and to hear what they he- heard. And most importantly, to learn the lessons that Jesus was trying to get his followers to understand. You see, because every story that they went through, every situation they went through, was on purpose. Jesus didn't waste effort. He didn't just say, well, I think today we're going to go feed 5,000 people because I feel like feeding 5,000 people. He fed 5,000 people primarily to teach his disciples something um, and to show the crowd who he really was. And so um, we want to try to, to, to walk through the stories and learn the lessons that Jesus was wanting his followers to learn um, through the situations. Because you see, no word of Scripture was written by chance. When you hold this book in your hand, this isn't just a, some historical document that says, well, this is about the, the life and times of, of the people leading up to Jesus, then Jesus, and the people following Jesus. It's so much more than that. That not one word in this Bible was written by chance. That the Holy Spirit inspired various authors to write what they wrote so that we could learn what God wants us to learn from the stories and from the teachings we find there. So let's try to enter the story this morning. Grab your Bible, turn to the Gospel of Mark. If you've been with us for a while, you've probably got a bookmarker in there from the Gospel of Mark. We're in the sixth chapter today. If you're visiting and you do not have a Bible, in the chair sec- or the pew sections, in the sh- in, underneath the pew in front of you are Bibles. You are welcome to use one of those for church. And if you don't have a Bible, take it with you home. And uh, so you can, we just think the best thing you can do in your life is to get to know God's Word. And so if you don't have a Bible, feel free to take one. And so Mark chapter 6, starting at verse 45... That you power up your I-whatevers so you can follow along today. There we go. You got it. Your notebook. Verse 45 of chapter 6. It says, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. Now, immediately after he had just fed the 5,000, the story that we looked at last week. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida while he himself was sending the crowd away. That crowd he had just fed. Verse 46, After bidding them for will, that's the crowd, he left, for, left um, for the mountain to pray. When it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea, the boat the disciples were in, and he was alone on the land, on the mountain. Verse 48, 
Seeing them, the disciples straining at the oars, for the wind was against them, at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he intended to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that he was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke with them and said to them, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped, and they were utterly astonished. For they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. Now, you try to enter the story. You know, if you had walked with Jesus on that day, You'd experience the crowd that day feeding the 5,000. You had experienced being put in the boat and going out there and experiencing this, this storm that they find themselves in because they're, they're fighting with the oars against the wind in, in a storm. And then you'd experience Jesus coming to you walking on the water. I think you would have had all kinds of things you would have learned that day. I think there's so many things you would have, you would have taken away from that experience. And I want to... I want to highlight three of them, but we're only going to talk about one today, because next week we're going to talk about the next two. As I look at that story, and I think if I try to put myself in there, there's, there's three things that I, that I would take away from it, I think, primarily. Number one, I would get a great encouragement, and that's what we're going to talk about today. I think we'd also see a great example, and it's interesting because you probably think that we always coordinate our stuff that we talk about between the worship team and stuff, and believe it or not, we a lot of times don't. But next week we're going to look at the story of Jesus walking in the water and calling Peter out because that's from the, the Matthew account. Suzanne referred to it today. I thought it was funny because we're going to look at that next Sunday. Um, so we're going to find an important example found in there. And then we're also going to find next week a serious warning from this text that applies to all of us. But for today we're just going to look at the one thing. We're going to delve into it kind of deeply. This idea of this story being a great encouragement to followers of Christ. And I would say this, I think the foundational lesson that Jesus would want us to take away from this story, if we were there on that day, would be a great encouragement to all of his followers. And the great encouragement is this, that Jesus will always be with you, especially in your stormy situations. I know this just from walking in the building this morning. A number of you need to hear this message today. A number of you have walked in here today in the middle of a storm. And I believe God has something to say to you. Some of you don't know, you're not in a storm right now, but you're going to be tomorrow because the phone's going to ring. You know, sometimes people call me a pessimist, and maybe I am. I always say I'm a realist. But I look at life as just a series of storms that are linked together by maybe a couple of good days. That's why we look forward to heaven. Because we're in a sin-corrupted world and there's storms. Now, maybe I'm more aware of storms because of my job. Because I walk through storms with people a lot. And I found this, we need to have this undergirding in our lives of the great encouragement that comes from this text that says, Jesus will always be with us. He will always be with you, especially in your stormy situations. Let's understand what happened on that day in the boat. Jesus had just finished feeding 5,000 people with one boy's lunch, five loaves and two fish. Then he sent his disciples on ahead of him in a boat and told him, go across the lake to the city that I told you and, and wait there for me. He stayed behind with the crowd and it says he said goodbye to the crowd that he had just ministered to and then he went up by himself onto a mountain to pray and that mountain overlooked the lake where the disciples had gone out in the boat to cross the other side. And the disciples were out in the middle of the lake in some type of a storm because we know that they're fighting against the storm. 
And they'd been out there fighting the wind and the waves for a long time. It wasn't just a few minutes. Because Jesus, if you look at the story, had sent them out in the early evening. He had fed the 5,000, then he sent them out, then he sent the crowd away to go find a place to stay, and then he went up to pray. And while he's up to praying, you know, he sent them out in the early evening, and then while he's praying in the evening, it says they were, they were still straining at the oars about the fourth watch of the night. Well, the fourth watch of the night is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So he maybe sent them out at something like 5 or 6 o'clock in the evening, maybe a little earlier, and they were out there all the way to 3 to 6 in the morning, fighting the wind, fighting the waves. He's a professional fisherman, a lot of them. They know how to handle the sea, but they're out there fighting, just trying to get across the lake. And the story says this. It says that Jesus saw them. Now, I don't know how he saw them. Um, I think if I was on that mountain, I wouldn't have seen them, but Jesus is Jesus. You know, he somehow saw them. He knew what was going on. He, they were probably miles out in the lake. He saw them in their trouble, and it says that he came to them walking on the sea. Let's understand something. Jesus had sent them off alone by themselves. He said, I'm staying here, you go out there. So they were there by the direct command of Jesus. He sent them off into trouble. Jesus had sent them off alone and when they had encountered difficult, they, you know, and in that, after he sent them off, they encountered this storm. But here's the thing to grasp. But Jesus had never lost sight of where they were or the trouble that they were having. He was the one who said, go off in the boat, go across the sea. He's God. He knew the storm was there. They're in the middle of the thing. He had sent them off into that situation where they had encountered difficulty. But Jesus had never lost sight of where they were or of the trouble that they were having. Friends, this is the great encouragement from this story. Knowing that even when I am not aware of his presence, they were not aware, they thought, man, he sent this off in his trouble, he's back there somewhere. When they were not aware of his presence, when they were not aware of the fact that he was watching, when they felt all alone, that Jesus hadn't lost sight of them. That Jesus hasn't lost sight of you in your storm, and Jesus hasn't lost sight of me in my storm. Jesus hasn't lost sight of you, even if you are in the middle of one of life's storms. He is here for you when you need Him. That's the encouragement from this text. And church, there is something incredibly important and practical that I need for all of us to learn about this situation today, because I see it so often. Um, Not understood properly in my life and in other people's lives. And I think this, what I want to talk about today, and I'm not exaggerating when I say this, literally has the possibility of transforming your spiritual life. And this is what it is. Very often, in our Christian walk, we love Jesus. We want to serve Him. We're walking with Him. We really are, we are trying to walk with Him. But very often in our, in our Christian walk, we lose an awareness of Jesus' presence. I'm not saying we're not saved. I'm not saying that we're not even maybe reading our Bibles and trying to pray and going to church. But very often in our Christian walk, we lose an awareness of Jesus' presence and we become overwhelmed and we become oppressed by circumstances of life, especially in times of struggle. And when this happens, we need to do what the disciples did. We need to invite Jesus 
into our boat. Pay attention to the story. It says something very peculiar in this story. It says, Jesus was on the mountain. He saw them in their trouble. It says, and he came to them. But did you catch what it says? He came to them, but he intended to pass by. Isn't that interesting? He sees them in trouble. He's out in the water. He gets in, he gets, you know, and he, he, he gets and walks in the water, on top of the water, goes miles out into the, oh, into the, into this, into this lake, this huge lake. But he intended to pass them by. He's going to walk right next to him. He walks so close they could see him. And the disciples, they needed to call out to him. They thought he was a ghost at first. Then he identifies himself. And they needed to say to Jesus, come. Come into our boat. He was going to walk right past, maybe trying to show them, oh, I'm really here. But for them to have the, the, the reality of the presence of the Lord, they had to do something. They had to invite him into the boat. And when his presence came in the boat, the storm was calmed. Friends, we need to invite Jesus into our boat. We need to become aware of the reality that he never loses sight of us, but that at times in our walk, we lose sight of him. And that's a very real situation in our lives, and it happens to all of us. I was just reading a book this week. Um, uh, a journal, leadership journal. And the whole journal is written about dark times in ministers' lives. And I was reading story after story of, of very well-known ministers who said, I'm going through these seasons, I'm just not aware of the presence of the Lord in my life. People who are leading huge ministries and huge churches saying, it's like he's not even there. And the reason I like the fact that they write it about the big names is so that a lot of us small names recognize that this is just part of the Christian walk. See, friends, today I want to get very real and personal with you right now. I want to share with you what I have found to be true in my life about situations where you go through the dark times and you just feel like God isn't there. Because we all go through them. And sometimes in our, in our um, desire to try to look spiritual, we won't admit it to anybody. But we walk through dark times. We walk through times when we just don't know the Lord is near. We, it, here we know He's here, near, but in here we're just not feeling it. And it sucks the life out of us. Well, I think God has some words of encouragement for us to, to do for us today. See, I found in my life, and maybe you're going to say, yeah, I found some other things that make a difference in your life too, and that's great. But I want to talk about how God has ministered in my life and how He still does minister in my life. I have found that there are two main ways that I invite Jesus into my boat when I have lost the awareness of His presence. When um, the circumstances of life and the spiritual battle are weighing me down and I think He just isn't there and He must not care. And we all feel like this at times. And these are two things that I'm going to share with you that, that I must choose to do. Not just know up here, but their actions or activities that I must choose to do. And I really believe that getting this will change your life. Because I can tell you this, it has changed mine. Because friends, God has sent me into some of the most difficult situations in an effort to give me an opportunity so that He could teach me these things. So that I could learn how to invite Him into my life in the storms so that I could learn that he's always, here, he's always there. So these are things, there's two things that I want to share with you that I have learned if I do them, I override my emotion with action and I do them, that it literally invites Jesus into my boat. 
and I become aware of his presence again. There are two things that are simple, they're doable, but oftentimes we overlook them. They are praise and proper focus. Praise and proper focus, and we're going to talk about those today. Two scriptures hold the keys here. And if you're in the habit of underlining or highlighting your Bible, I tell you, bookmark these and highlight them because I go to them all the time. I really do. I go to them all the time. You say, I mean, you have to constantly keep reminding yourself that the Lord is there. I have to constantly keep doing it. Because by nature, I'm a pessimist, or at least a realist, I say. By nature, I see, the, I see the bad and not the good. And I tend to be pulled down. And I have to put into practice things in my life that, that lift me up and make me aware of the presence of the Lord. So two scriptures hold the keys. The first one is this, Isaiah 61.3. Isaiah 61.3. says this, and I'll add these words at first because these words aren't found in there, but they, they're implied. Put on or exchange the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. We used to sing a song about that, you know. Put on a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. You know that? That's an old one. Lift up your voice to God. What's next? Pray in the spirit and with understanding. Oh, magnify the Lord. You know that song? Well, is that all right? Okay, I wasn't looking for applause. But that song is just taking Isaiah 61.3 and putting it to music. Put on a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. You see, there is a very real spiritual battle going on in your life, whether you know it or not. One of the greatest obstacles to living victorious spiritual lives in North America is we're the only culture in the world who doesn't believe there's a spiritual battle going on. We are the only culture. Other cultures we laugh at because they say, oh, they're always thinking of demons and spirits. You know what? The Bible tells us there's a very real spiritual battle going on in our life, whether we know it or not, and Satan wants to put a spirit of heaviness upon you, especially through the storms of life. He wants to pull you down and render you useless because you're just captivated by the darkness. You're captivated by fear. You're captivated by, by negativity. It's a spirit of heaviness that the enemy wants to put upon you. You know those days when you just feel a heaviness in your life? When you feel a sense of depression that comes upon you? Maybe you call it just being crabby. Some of you think about it towards your spouse. You're just crabby, but if you know it's good for you, you probably don't say it on that day. And if you do, you get in trouble because they're crabby. Those days when you just feel the sense of depression and heaviness, crabbiness come upon you. That's a very, I have found, that's a very real spiritual attack. And Isaiah tells us how to overcome it. He says we put on a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. We make an exchange. We put something on and then something is taken off. He's saying there's something that we have to do about it. We literally do spiritual warfare as we praise the Lord because it then pushes away the spirit of heaviness and then the reality of Christ's presence comes in to our boat as we're going through the storms. Friends, I can say this without exaggeration. I have found that this is the secret in my life to maintaining an awareness of Jesus' presence and keeping me from living under a cloud of heaviness, under depression and discouragement. Doing this, this exchange literally has changed my life. Now, I almost every day of my life, I structure my life to have a time devoted to praise in the beginning of my day. I take time to praise God before I read my Bible, before I pray, 
Before I start my work, before I make my, my calls or I write my sermons, I put on praise music and I lift up my hands and I praise the Lord, especially on the days that I don't feel like it. Monday morning, I'll get up. Tomorrow morning, I'll get up and I'll get dressed and I'll get showered and I'll take Brett to school. That's what I do every Monday morning. And I'll come in here and I'll be here before anybody else in the office and I'll plug in my earbuds and I'll go to the youth center like I do every morning and I'll begin, if you watch me you think I'm crazy, I don't care. I begin to raise my hands and I begin to praise and my favorite person to do it is Darlene Check. I listen to old music, old Darlene Check and I begin to just praise and worship the Lord because so many of her songs are just songs of, of worship and praise. And I begin to do that every single day. And I have found that uh, if I praise first, that I become aware of Jesus' presence, and my spirit is lifted up, and the heaviness that rests upon me literally leaves, and that I'll walk through the rest of the day more positively, and understand this, more powerfully. Because spiritual power is tied to walking in awareness of Jesus' presence. I become aware of His reality. Before I was aware of it up here, then I begin to feel it in here, and it's all tied to praise. But understand this, church. You have to put it on. You have to make the exchange. You have to do it. Isaiah is saying it is an action that we do so that we receive the benefit. And I want to do something today. I want to give every person in this room a challenge this week. Take 15 minutes every morning. Now I find this not the first thing I do when I get out of bed because I get up and we're all fighting over the same limited bathroom space and we're trying to all get going and Suzanne's got to go to school and the boy's got to go to, to work or to school. And so as soon as I'm alone, I do it. Maybe for you it's in a car. I don't know. But take 15 minutes every morning to put on some praise music and just begin to praise the Lord. Not asking Him for anything. Not asking Him for requests or needs. Just begin to praise the Lord. And men, will you please get over yourself? See, women, you don't understand something about men. Maybe you do. Men, you don't understand something about ourselves. We have much more fragile egos than women do. Our egos are much more fragile. We are much more concerned with what people think. Even though you change your outfit, ladies, a hundred times... Because you care what people think, men are much, honestly, are much more fragile than women are. And we don't like to do anything that might, we might get laughed at for. And so I see it in church. Oh, I'm not going to dare really praise the Lord. Because what if somebody sees? I praise the Lord in virtual darkness every morning in that, in that youth center. I turn on one light on the other side of the youth center and I go under the basketball court. Because I'm like, well, what if somebody walks in and sees me? <laughs> you know? They're going to think I'm a kook. But here's the deal, guys. I don't let that, 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 that fragile ego that I have keep me from doing what Isaiah tells me I have to do. So in church on Sunday morning, I lift up my hands and I say, God, I'm going to praise you. Man, I'm going to tell you, get over yourself. Get past yourself. Get past your ego. Get past your pride. Get past your self-consciousness that makes you feel uncomfortable and plug in your earbuds or turn on, some of, you are, some of us are old, turn on your, your, your CD. <laughs> some of you plug in your 8-track. <laughs> or your 45. <laughs> and take a time to praise the Lord. Take a time to, take a praise walk. Do whatever you have to do. 
take time to do what Isaiah says and to exchange the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Because I'm telling you, it's a very real spiritual battle. It's, it's real. I literally sense what I'm doing at times. I, I oftentimes will walk in on a Monday morning and, and I will feel down. You'll say, how can you feel down? Church is always great. Because I'll feel down because I'll know that this person is going through this and that person's going through that and that didn't work right and that's got to be fixed and this is broken and that's happened. And I walk in like heavy. And I'll begin to praise and I, I honestly, I feel it. I feel this thing begins to lift off of my shoulders and I feel the reality of the presence of God coming into my boat. And I recognize I can sail through this day because Jesus is with me. Some of you depend on pills to do this. And I'm not knocking, I I understand depression. But I'm saying this, try this. Take 15 minutes in the beginning of your day. I'm not telling you to stop taking your meds. It's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying, you begin to lift up your hands and praise the Lord. You begin to to make an exchange of the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And I promise you what's going to happen. You're going to actually feel it. You're going to feel it in your life. You know, you're, you're driving in a car in the morning, and Tennessee, especially us guys, you know, you're turning on talk radio. And the second you get up, the second you begin to do what you're bombarded by is problem, 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 problem. You know, this political party, that political party, this is all bad, this many murders. I'm not saying keep it living in a bubble. But listen to that sometime later. Start your day by lifting up your hands and be, no, on your driving, keep a hand on the wheel. But begin to <laughs> praise the Lord. And there's something spiritual that happens. There's an exchange that takes place. If the only time you're worshiping God and praising God is here on Sunday morning, I promise you, you're walking through depression and discouragement during the week. I I know it's true. You can tell me all day it's not. I know it's true. Because God had Isaiah write it in the book. This 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 is just training for what you do out there. What we do in here, we're supposed to do out there. And so put on a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. You'll take 15 minutes every day this week. There's going to be two things that are going to happen. Number one, this is how I know it's true. Number one, next Sunday when Suzanne leads worship, she won't have to go rah, 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 you know, sis, boom, bah. Um, let's all worship. You will be, you will be in here gung-ho. You won't have to say, would everybody please come in the sanctuary, put your donut down, it's not as important as coming and praising the Lord. You will be in here first saying, I want to praise God. And worship will be intense because you've been doing it all week long. One of the hard things about corporate worship is our worship team's got to spend all their time just trying to get us focused right. But if you were spending just 15 minutes a day worshiping God, you'd come in focused right already. And I say there's two things. Number one, that would happen. That would be proof of my number two. You would absolutely feel a difference in your life. And so my, my challenge to you this week is that you take 15 minutes every morning and you put on some praise music and you begin to praise the Lord. Begin to just lift your hands. Because the Bible says lift up holy hands. Now you don't have to do that, but I'm saying it's a sense of I need you. Surrender. I need you. Begin to pray in the Spirit. Begin to just invite the presence of the Lord. I promise you, you'll feel the exchange. I promise you. So, praise is the first thing that you need to do. But I said that there's two things to do to invite Jesus into your boat that will make all the difference in your life when you've lost the awareness of His presence. That's the first thing. Here's the second one. And this is another thing you must choose to do. 
Here's, here's, here's what I'm trying to get you to understand today. There's one thing to know it up here. All of us, we're the most educated group of people, followers of Jesus in the history of the world. We are the most educated. We have this ridiculous idea. If you just learn more, it'll work more. It's not true. Churches all over the world that are thriving for Christ have little scripture portions they memorize because they can't even own the Bible. And they're, then they're thriving in Christ and they're not depressed and they're happy and willing to die for their faith. We're the most educated group on the planet. I'm all for education. But the fact of the matter is, uh, just knowing it doesn't do it. You've got to know it and you've got to do it. And I'm talking about doing it today. So number two, to invite the presence of the Lord into your boat when you've lost His awareness is this. Choose to have a proper focus. Choose to have a proper focus. And this is a, ch- it's a choice. It's something you must do. And it is very hard in the culture we live in to do this, but it's hard in every culture. Take your Bibles. Look at the second scripture for this morning. Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. This is gonna, it's going to reveal something that maybe you've never seen before. About how God wants to do this, something in your life. Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9 say this. Finally, brethren and sistren, <laughs> whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Dwell on these things. Now look at the next verse. And these things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, the Apostle Paul, practice these things, do what he's telling us to do. He says, and then the God of peace will be with you. Did you get that? He says, if you do this, the God of peace will be with you. He's walking on the water next to you in the storm, intending to pass you by, Until you do these things, you invite him into the boat, and then he'll be with you, and once he gets in the boat, it makes all the difference. So he says, have a right focus. See, we become aware that the God of peace is with us in our boat, bringing peace and calm when we dwell on, when we focus on the right stuff. Friends, understand, God is concerned with your thought life. He's concerned on what you put in. He's concerned on what you think about. He's concerned about what you dwell about. And understand, here's the reality of the world. We tend to dwell on the bad. We tend to dwell on the problems. We tend to dwell on the things that irritate us. We tend to dwell on the temporary. Things like things we need and accomplishments we have to do and struggles we're going through. We tend to dwell on those things. But Paul says the key to experiencing the God of peace is to dwell on positive and pure things. In other words, things that are right in this world and things of the next world in eternity. Now guess what? You know what this doesn't mean? This doesn't mean that we ignore reality. There are tough and bad situations in life, and some of you are going through them right now. And they need to be discussed, they need to be thought about, and they need to be dealt with. But what the Apostle Paul is saying here is that in the middle of all that, choose to keep looking up. Take time to turn your attention away from the difficulties and dwell upon the good things of God. 
In the middle of dealing with the difficult situations, remind yourself of all the good things that God is doing. And I'll tell you this, this takes intentional effort. It's one reason in every service we try to always point out good things God is doing. Because unless we point them out, people don't even recognize them. That's why we say, look at all the baptisms, look at all the people who come to Jesus, look at all the wonderful things that are happening. We do that all the time because God's doing so many wonderful things. And we need to be people who dwell on those good things. Now, if you're a person who has a problem with this, there's hope. Suzanne helps me with this one more than she even knows. Maybe she knows and she never says it, but she helps me with this one. I can come through a situation where 99 things went well and one thing went wrong. This is the reality of my life, every day of my life. That's how I dealt. I'm the only guy who used to get angry with 99% on tests in college. I'd be furious. Somebody else is going, Oh, I got a 70, I passed! And I'm going, I got one wrong! And I'd be furious, wouldn't I? I would be angry. That professor's crazy! Because I want 100%. And I come through life situations where 99 things go well and one goes wrong. And I focus on the one. (laughs) And that one thing, I see it. It's like it looms in my mind. It's the one thing that needs to be fixed. It's the one problem out of a out of hundred. It's that one person that was just driving me crazy. It's irritating me. And my wife, the gift from God, will very patiently and very lovingly, without saying to me what she's doing, begin to remind me of all the good things that God is doing around us. And I find that as I turn my attention onto those things, that the one thing out of the 99 doesn't seem to be so bad anymore. And I'm reminded that Jesus, the Prince of Peace, is in the boat with me. And He's in control, and I don't have to be in control. Because I, put, I have a right focus. I understand that, that He's right here. And I begin to see all the good that He's doing all around me. And friends, it all comes down to a change of focus. The good and the bad are both always going on. I'm not saying that somehow the bad's going to stop. The good and the bad are always both going on. Our choice is to pick which one we are going to dwell on. Which one we choose to dwell on determines if we will live in peace or we will live in turmoil. And I know for me, life is a lot more enjoyable living at peace. With the Prince of Peace, resting in His care, trusting in His control, because he's in the boat with me. So I have another challenge for you today. Two challenges this week. Help that person that you know, maybe husbands and wives, commit to each other to do this for each other. Because we all need help in this area. Help that person who you know tends to dwell on the problems and the difficulties. Help them by bringing up the good things that God is doing. Be subtle. Don't attack them. Oh, you're thinking on the negative again. That doesn't help at all. I'm telling you, doesn't help. Don't attack someone when they're down. But rather, if you see they're down, start to talk about the positive. Turn the focus of the conversation upward. Begin to talk about the good things God is doing. And you will be amazed at how their whole attitude changes. Because by looking up, you are inviting Jesus into the boat. And that brings the calm to the seas. 
in your life, inside of you. So what's God said to us today? From His Word. So one of the things we gain from walking through this story with Jesus is this. That we see that Jesus will always be with us, especially in our stormy situations. But sometimes we lose an awareness of His presence. So there's two things that we can do to invite Him into our boat to be reminded of His nearness. We praise, put on a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, and we have a proper focus. We choose to have a proper focus, which means eliminating some of the thoughts, some of the outside influence, and choosing to focus on the right things. We dwell on, it says, what is excellent, what is praiseworthy, what is honorable, what is pure, what is loving. Those things that are above. It says, then you will know the God of peace is with you. And that changes everything. Isn't that what you want for yourself? Isn't that what you want for your family? That when your kids come home, it's a happy house? That there's not a storm? It comes by turning your attention onto the right things and celebrating those things and by, by praising and lifting up and having, the, having that spiritual exchange where God takes away the heaviness and He puts on the reality of His presence in your life. Circumstance, you still got to walk through their tough. But He'll walk with you. He'll be in the boat. And that makes all the difference. Amen? Amen. Stand with me this morning.